Don't we have a wonderful, a wonderful worship team who leads us into worship? Amen. Thank you, Father God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, it's an honor and privilege to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning or today. Yeah, it's still morning. I want to remind you that this week is our last community group before the break. Um, we have note sheets that we have passed out. We encourage you to take notes so that you can be prepared. Um, for community groups this week, amen? So, um, like my husband says, if you don't have a pen, look around you, find a lady with the biggest purse and ask her for a pen and make sure you give it back. My purse is right there, I have a few if anybody needs any. <laughs> um, but it is the Christmas season, right? Woohoo, Christmas! Anybody like Christmas? <laughs> it is by far my favorite time of year. I love the Christmas season for so many reasons. One. I love family and friends gathering together, spending time, and of course, eating together. For some of us, that's the only part of Christmas we like. <laughs> but it truly brings me great joy and fulfillment, gathering with people that I love and care about. And of course, there are the gifts, right? While I know that, that for so many, trying to find the perfect gift, going shopping at the mall, um, or online shopping as so many of us do now, could be a stressful thing for, um, for us. But for me, trying to find that special gift for someone that I care about has always been something that I really love doing. I love buying gifts, I love wrapping gifts, I love giving gifts, watching with anticipation, hoping they will like it as much as I do. Um, and don't even get me started about the decorations, okay? <laughs> I love decorating, I love decorations, and I especially love Christmas decorations. I mean, look at this. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? <laughs> This wouldn't happen if I didn't love it as much as I did, okay? <laughs> I'm just really fortunate that I found a couple of people in this church, <laughs> Jeevan and Kareen, who are just as mad about Christmas as I am, who aid me in this very healthy obsession and will always agree that we could always add more. So let's wait for next year, right? <laughs> but I absolutely love Christmas. I love everything about it. On Thanksgiving weekend, our family went away for just a couple of days to Lancaster, and one of the things that we did was drive through Stone Gable Estates, which has over three miles of lights you can drive through. If you're going to Lancaster at all during the holidays, we definitely recommend it. What I loved most about it was that the focus of their message was definitely Jesus. Everything we read about at the different stations along the three-mile drive pointed to the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the gospel message. It was beautiful. There were even signs telling people how they can accept Jesus into their lives. Yes. So it's worth, if you want to know where it is, just tell me. I'll send you a link. It's beautiful. But as we finished our tour... I turned to my husband and I said, do you know what I love the most about Christmas? That whether people believe in Christ or not, so many people hang up Christmas lights. There are lights everywhere. I love driving down streets at night that would otherwise be extremely dark and seeing homes lit up with so many lights. And we know that Jesus is the light of the world. So whether they believe it or not, accept it or not, 
most everyone is putting up some type of lights, and guess what? Jesus still gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Because no other time of year is as bright as the Christmas season as we celebrate the day our Savior came to save us. And so for all of these reasons, I love the Christmas season. If you're not yet ready for Christmas, I hope I have inspired you and motivated you. I've either done that or I've made you nauseous. Either way, I'm glad to evoke some type of feeling. <laughs> well, for the next uh, several weeks, we will be doing a series called The Songs of Christmas. You will hear today about Mary's song. Next Sunday, you will hear about Zechariah's song. Christmas Eve, you will hear about the angel's song. And Christmas Day, you will hear about Simeon's song. These are all events surrounding Jesus' birth, and we are so excited to be sharing them with you all. I have no doubt these messages will bless your heart and will help us all focus on the reason we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So let's turn our attention to the scriptures and read in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, as we begin with Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Thank you, Father. We come before you, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that today you would prepare our hearts open our ears, open our hearts that we may receive the word that you have for us today. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is good and that it is true. And Father, we pray for every person that is in this room this morning, every person that is listening, Father God, to this message. I pray, Lord God, that they would know and understand that the promises that you have made are for us, Lord, for those who belong to you. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, and that you would lead us and guide us in all that we say this morning, because we want to hear you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, here, we read about the birth of Jesus, right? The birth of Jesus is being foretold. Luke decides to write about all the accounts surrounding Jesus, starting with the miraculous conception of John the Baptist, who was to prepare the way for Jesus. But I want to begin by sharing some very meaningful facts that should speak to our hearts today. We know, since we have been studying in the book of Acts this past year, that Luke is a companion of Paul. We know he wrote the book of Acts. He is a, a physician. We know that he is very knowledgeable. We know that he is very detailed. And we know that he is extremely trustworthy. And so I just want to point out something very special about the gospel of Luke. The first four verses of Luke, Luke's gospel are one sentence in the original Greek. They are written in refined academic classical style. But then for the rest of the gospel, Luke didn't use the language of scholars, but of the common man, the language of the village and the street. Through this, Luke says to us, this account has all the proper academic and scholarly credentials, but it is written for the man in the street. Luke wrote so that people would understand Jesus, not so that they would admire his brain or literary skill. This was written for the common man and woman. It was written for you and I. From the onset of Luke's writing, we see the message of the gospel brought to the humble and to the lowly. Not to those in great power, not to those in high estates, but to the common. Now we know it's not only the language used that is common, but that he whom the message is about, Jesus, becomes common, and all surrounding him is common. You see, the whole story surrounding Jesus and Jesus himself, the manner in which God decided to create, fulfill, and spread the gospel message was all done the way that it was done so that all may see the power of God displayed through what is common, through what is weak, and what is humble. 
In verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Chronologically, this is the first mention of Nazareth in the Old or New Testaments. The most remarkable thing about Nazareth is per perhaps how unremarkable it is. The closest major road from it was six miles away, and it only had a weak well in the center of the village. Nazareth was less than common. It was not even worth mentioning. Let that sink in for a moment. Nazareth was an uncelebrated, forgotten town off the beaten path, even for Galilee. And as for the people, well, let's not forget the sentiments of the Jewish people expressed in John chapter 146. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? God the Father chose a lowly place with lowly people through which to bring his redemptive plan through, his son, Jesus, for all mankind. Stunning, isn't it? It's so easy to see why for so many this became a stumbling block. It just all seems to go so against the grain. Let's continue. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, throughout the Bible, we read about many different events where people are visited by angels. And these visits evoke different responses. We know many fear because usually the first words spoken by the angels are, do not be afraid. Some fall to their knees while others run to prepare meals for them. We know that sometimes those visited by angels don't even realize they are angels until after they've left. One story you may be familiar with is when the angel of the Lord visits Abraham and he tells him that his barren wife, Sarah, would conceive and bear a son. When Sarah hears these words, she laughs incredulously for she was advanced in years and the Bible says that the way of women had ceased to be with her. The angel's response to Sarah's unbelief is anything too hard for the Lord. Likewise, in the verses just prior to our scripture reading today, the priest Zechariah, whom you will hear about next week, was also visited by an angel. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are both also advanced in years, and like Sarah, Elizabeth is barren. The angel appears to Zechariah while he is in the temple, just outside the Holy of Holies, offering incense on the altar, and tells him that his wife will bear a son, who will be great and prepare the way for our Lord, and his name shall be John. Zechariah's response to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. To which the angel responds, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Two things that I want to point out. Notice, it doesn't matter the unbelief of the servant. The words the angel has spoken will still be fulfilled in their time. 
God's plans, his word, his promises, they will always be fulfilled despite man's unbelief, lack of faith, resistance, disobedience, insert any word you'd like, God's plans and will will always prevail. It's just always a greater blessing for our lives if we believe and surrender to them. Amen? Secondly, it always amazes me when I read these about these encounters in the Bible, supernatural events, angels appearing and speaking, the presence of God so evident, and in so many cases, the people responses, how do I know you're telling me the truth? I mean, seriously? A celestial being is personally bringing you a message from God, and you're like, um, how do I know if this is true? What is wrong with them, right? But then I have to stop and take stock. I can never be so prideful and hold contempt for them. For how many times has the Lord spoken to me? And how many promises do I hold in my hand this very moment? And how many times do I doubt these promises are indeed for me? But that's one of the things that I love and admire so much about Mary. Mary is a figure I deeply respect because so many things about her visitation stand out among the rest. Verse 27, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary was troubled. I would gather her response as much like Gideon's response when an angel appears to him. Gideon is the least in his clan, which happens to be the least of all the clans, who is found hiding due to fear. The angel says to him, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. Both Gideon and Mary are like, I'm sorry, are you talking to me? Are you talking about me? <laughs> I think both Mary and Gideon have very clear pictures of who God is and who they are in light of God. But here's the beautiful part. God is the only one who can take a coward and make him a great warrior of valor. He's the only one who can take what is barren and make it fruitful. And he's the only one who can raise what is lowly. Mary's troubled response was not due to doubt as many others were but it points to her humility. Can the angel be referring to me? Can the Lord truly be with me and look upon me with favor despite who I am? She wasn't incredulous. She was humbled by the saying. Let's keep reading. And the angel of the Lord, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. How he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, 
Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here's the greatest contrast between Mary's immediate response to God's message to her from so many others. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. There are two very important components to Mary's response that are both equally extremely important. Number one, Mary surrenders to God's will and plan. And number two, she believes in the promise of God's plan. Mary believes in the promise of God's plan and she surrenders to God's will and plan. Now I have to point this out so that there is no confusion as to Mary's question to the angel Gabriel. Mary's question to the angel differs drastically from Zechariah's question. Zechariah asks, how shall I know this? For I am old. In other words, how do I know this will actually happen? How do I know this will be true? He quest his question brings into question God's ability. By contrast, Mary's question does not question God's ability. She doesn't question whether what the angel is saying is true. Rather, she confirms God's ability to do it and simply asks, how will God do this? Do you see the difference? Mary never questions whether what God is saying is true or not. She simply asks of the Lord, how will it be done? Because she knows that she's pure. Can I just take a moment to say that we never need to be afraid to ask God questions. I think he enjoys and loves when we have genuine questions for him. I think the problem that we tend to run into is that instead of asking God questions about what we don't understand, we question who God is when we don't understand. Brothers and sisters, it is two drastically different things to ask God questions and to question God to question his character, to question his motivation. Mary believes God. Not only does she believe, but her immediate surrender strongly shows her trust in him. Do you think she understood it all at that moment? Do you think she fully understood what it meant for the Holy Spirit to overshadow her? No, probably not. But although she did not have full understanding of what was before her, she had full understanding of the God she placed her trust in. Another thing I admire about Mary is how her focus never shifted to herself. Notice, unlike Zachariah and so many others, Mary doesn't start, start objecting due to her lack, her failures, or weaknesses. She is very well aware and has enough faith to believe that whatever God is saying and what he is promising, he is more than capable of accomplishing despite her. And so without hesitation, without objections, without, but God, what about this? Oh God, what about that? God, I cannot speak. Lord, I stutter. If it's really you, can you please wet the ground and keep the place dry? I am too old. I am too young. I have a bad past. I grew up in church, but I have no testimony. I'm insecure. I have depression. I have anxiety. The list goes on and on about what we can or cannot do. And we forget that it's not about us. 
that it's not about who we are or who we are not, that it's not about our inabilities or our abilities, our weaknesses and failures, but that it is about Christ and how he uses the foolish to shame the wise, how he uses the weak to shame the strong, how he uses what is low and despised in the, wor despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. It's not about Mary. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God and what he is able to accomplish. Amen? Mary understood this. And it's why I love her song so much. She knew God looked at her humble estate. And despite her, she knew his eyes looked upon her life. He showed her favor and bestowed upon her and entrusted to her one of the greatest privileges bestowed upon mankind among women to carry within her womb and bring to this earth the savior of the world. What a calling, what a task, what a blessing. Now I don't have time to go into it today but this great and amazing calling would cost Mary something. It would actually cost her a lot, not only during her pregnancy, but throughout her entire life. We all truly desire to be used of God, but one thing we must always remember is that following and belonging to him and carrying out his work will always have a cost. If it costs Jesus his life to be obedient to God, don't believe for a moment that it won't cost you yours. It will cost you your life one way or another. That's why the Bible, the word of God tells us over and over that we must die to ourselves. Some of us may die for believing and living in Christ as the disciples did. Ooh, really? Would you be okay with that? Would you die for Christ as he died for you? It's a reality we may come face to face with, especially as persecution, which, which is here now. And as it increases in the years to come, some of us may live out our lives and reach old age, but it will still cost us something throughout our lives. It cost Mary her reputation. For those who did not believe during her time of living and in the centuries that follow, how many times did she hear whispers and gossip and slander about her out-of-wedlock pregnancy? Which in those days, the penalty for those types of sin was death. How much did it cost Mary knowing a celestial being had appeared to her with a direct message from God himself, her knowing that, which, that, that which occurred that took place in her life, in her body, was a supernatural work, but having to face day after day the doubts, the looks, the murmuring uttered by those who would never believe. This wasn't an easy calling. Mary knew this. Mary was very well aware of what, could, what it could look like in her life, what it could feel like, what it could cost her, and yet she says yes. Do you know why I believe she could say yes? Because she counted the favor of God of greater value than the favor of man. She knew that in God's favor, she would find the eternal rewards of his promises and counted them greater than the curses of man. 
all that we could live with such conviction, that we would live with such perseverance because we believe so deeply in the person of Jesus and that the promises he has for us are of so much greater value than anything we could ever find in the world. Mary knew this, which is why she endured all she endured in her life. She held the blessings of God and his eternal rewards above all other things, even the suffering. But here's yet another thing that I love so much about Mary. You want to know? It doesn't matter because I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> oh, finally, some response. Praise the Lord. Be with me. I need to know that you're hearing what God is saying. In her song, which we're going to finish with today, she begins by praising God, responding to the call, believing in the fulfillment of the promises of God, knowing she is blessed, all the while remaining humble. Meaning the call didn't go to her head. She didn't think of herself more highly, but she magnifies the Lord and stays humble before him. But since we know the focus of the story is Jesus, while Mary acknowledges God's goodness, goodness toward her, the focus of her song quickly points to God and his promises. It points to the might of God who is able to carry out the miraculous work of the promised Messiah. It points to the mercy that has endlessly been bestowed and will forever be bestowed upon those who belong to the God of all creation. It points to his strength and sovereignty over the earth, over kingdoms and over all who dwell within them, both high and low. Her song celebrates God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and his power. It shows the futility of trusting in self, of trusting in political power, or of trusting in riches. Could we all stand to our feet as we end? We're going to put up Mary's song on the screen, or you may want to follow along in your Bible. And I wonder if we could all read Mary's song together. Would, would, you, would you do this with me? It's found again in Luke chapter 1 right there. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to the fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Mary's song points to the unforgettable promises of God who are fully and completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Wait, I don't think you got that. Let me say that again. <laughs> Mary's song 
points to the unforgettable promises of God who are fully and completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ. Jesus. That's who we sang about this morning. Jesus. Jesus. Mighty is his name. The name above all names. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the bread of life. He is the Son of the living God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, God with us. <laughs> Through Jesus, God is with us. <laughs> That is something that we can certainly praise God about. That is something that we can certainly raise our voices about. Jesus, the God of all creation, wanted to be with us. And he made a way for us to reign forever. Now, while this promise that Mary received was beautiful, guys, we have an even greater promise. Jesus did come, and he did die, and he was put in a tomb. But Jesus was raised to life again. And what is our promise? Our promise is that he will come again. And that when he comes, those who have died will live again. Those who belong to Christ will reign with him. That is our promise. Amen. That's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's why I make such a big deal about Christmas. It's not about the poinsettias. It's not about the trees. But you know what? This all helps me focus on Jesus. It is about him. That's why we celebrate. That's why. That's why we proclaim his name. Because he is worthy. And the promise for us is that we will reign with him. That no matter what happens in this earth, no matter what happens in this life, we have a promise that we belong to him and nothing and no one will ever separate us from him or from his love. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for making yourself lower so that we could be raised higher and be with you. We're gonna continue to worship the Lord this morning. I think we all have something to sing about, amen.